The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 102. Captain DeBridge, Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Voyager episode, Emanations. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. Folks, remember to like The Secrets of Star Trek on Facebook at facebook.com slash Media. Retweet us on Twitter, where we're at SQPN, and Make sure to leave us some comments in both places. We love to interact with you and share your comments on the show uh, as part of our feedback. We'd love to have that. So this is Emanations. It's a first season Voyager episode. It's the uh, ninth produced, but eighth aired, I think is uh, how they have it. And uh, it aired in March of 95, which is interesting because... uh, it was a different time the, then. We're, that's about 25 years ago as we record this. This episode was written by Brandon Braga, who long time worked on both Next Gen and uh, Voyager, and I think some DS9. Is, am, I, am I off on that? I think he might have written some episodes. I don't think he was like a showrunner or anything like that. Yeah. But apparently this was a, a pet project of Brandon Braga. Ever since he started working on the Next Gen, he wanted to do an episode about death. That's that's what he said, uh, in in how you know from a science fiction perspective, and uh, and he said about this episode that at the time at least he was personally opposed to euthanasia, and this was a quote he said: uh, "Our reality as an alien afterlife was an idea that ended up affording philosophical expo- explorations, namely what is life, could something really lie beyond life, and a great deal of social commentary about euthanasia, uh, and so he." He really did try to put euthanasia as a concept into this episode, as as we'll see as we talk to it. And he he had a good point that once euthanasia is is accepted by a society, there's going to be pressure put on yes. people to to euthanize themselves, even if they don't really want to, which is something that comes out in this episode. However, euthanasia doesn't really come into the picture until fairly late in this episode, and it's frankly right. the less interesting of the topics that we deal with. I really didn't remember this episode of Voyager. I may have only seen it once before, and it was a surprise to me because it it may be the best of the first season. Yeah. Mm. The, the frankly, more interesting subject is the what lies beyond death subject, mm. which is right. a, the euthanasia stuff is kind of late to the party, but that one is front and center from the beginning. The the more fundamental question is is what does it mean to have an afterlife? What does it mean to go on? And well, and I'd like to to deal with it as we go through it as it comes up because uh that it's a question I think that catches the Voyager crew by surprise and it, mm-hmm. they 
are not equipped to answer that question in a way that could be satisfying to the people they encounter, the the vor the vori, I think is they're called. Well, it is kind of funny because it, it brings up that issue of, you know, that science doesn't have all the answers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because there's that that's always kind of a underlying assumption, especially with more recent Star Trek, that oh science answers everything. Right. You know, because of course and of course you hear that in our culture too is science, you know, you don't need to believe in God because science has all the answers. And if science doesn't know the answers, they will by the time we're flying, you know, warp nine starships across the galaxy. Right. Right. There's a bit. Of, yeah. There's a bit of that expectation that all the answers are found through the the observation of the natural world. So why don't we just to get into the episode, why don't we talk yep. about the uh, title or I should yes. say before we get into the episode emanations. Mm hmm. Apparently, so they the Voyager encounters a race of aliens with funny noses and funny foreheads that has a belief that apparently creation is structured into a series of emanations. They don't say emanations from what, but if it's if they're alluding to an earthly parallel with that, presumably it's emanations from some fundamental reality which corresponds to God. It's a lot like Neoplatonism has a similar idea, and Gnosticism picked it up of God has various emanations that get progressively further from him, and our our world is embedded in that pattern, as is a product of that pattern, and the soul then returns to God by passing up through higher emanations. And so these aliens believe that they're living in one emanation— and then they pass on with their physical bodies into another emanation where they achieve universal consciousness. And this is something that really they didn't communicate clearly in the episode, but it appears, and this is based partly on background information, it appears that our reality, where Voyager is, is in a different dimension or a different emanation right. than, uh, than they are. So they're not in our universe. They have to cross subspace to get to their universe. That's not initially obvious. When Harry Kim first shows up in their reality, it's like, oh, yeah, we're from a distant part of the galaxy. And even though after that, they use this language of we're, you're from a different dimension or a different emanation, they never prove that to us. And I think that's a flaw in the episode. They should have done mm-hmm. something, even on the dialogue level, to tell us, no, that really is true, if that's what they want us to understand. Because that's actually a fascinating idea. What if our universe is somebody else's heaven, you know, somebody mm, else's yeah. afterlife? Right. And that's what they're going for. So the reason the title is plural, Emanations, is because we have two different emanations in this episode, we have our reality, which is their afterlife, and then we have their reality, which is their life. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, very good. Yeah, that's actually a good summary of that, because uh, the, I, I did notice that, too, that they, they, they hint at this idea, but they don't close the loop on it. Yeah. Our, our MacGuffin that gets us into this uh, yes. plot is Element 247. According I wanted to, to talk the, about that. Yeah. Yeah. According to the voiceover at the beginning of the uh, of the beginning of the episode, there are 246 elements known to Federation science, but they may have just detected the 247th in a cloud of asteroids that's maybe a ring of a gas giant that also, for some bizarre reason, have M-class atmospheres inside them. Yeah. Yes. Which doesn't make <laughs> a lot of sense scientifically. Nope. The 247, by the way, if you if you ever look up 
on like Memory Alpha, the Federation periodic table, it has all kinds of crazy elements in it, like Daffy, <laughs> Daffy Duckium and stuff like that. Um, apparently, scientists naming, giving things funny names like, um, you know, Quark and Gluons and things like that continues into the future. <laughs> but they think they found 247, which they say says has more than 550 nucleons and it's stable. And I'm like, wow, I would expect it to have considerably more than 550 nucleons if it's stable. One of the things that, so, uh, you know, nucleons are the particles in the nucleus of an atom. So that's protons and neutrons. Protons are positively charged. And so that means they repel each other like the positive poles of a magnet. And they need to, in order for them to be bound together, they need buffers that are neutral. And that's what neutrons do. And so the more protons you get, the more neutrons you need to buffer them. Otherwise, the element becomes unstable and starts spitting out protons and neutrons. And that's where nuclear radioactivity comes from. You also have the strong nuclear force trying to hold all this together, but the strong nuclear force can only do so much. And so having an element with 247 protons, it's the number of protons that tells you the element number. Mm -hmm. Having a, an element with 247 is going to be so huge, I don't, think the weak, I don't think the strong force is going to hold it together, and, and I think you're, it's not going to be very stable, and it's going to need way more than 550 nucleons in order to achieve stability, if that's even possible. Because right now, there, in reality, there, we have 118 elements on the, on the table, uh, as, as far as I know, uh, according to Wikipedia anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Organesson is the most recently named one. And 26 of those have only been synthesized in labs or nuclear reactors, and that's the ones at the higher end. Everything uh, because, above 92, everything above uranium, you, we have to make. Because, they're, like you said, they're unstable. So um, that means, so it would, it's, like you said, it's highly unlikely that you'd find anything, I mean, as far as we know, that anything like that at the higher end would be a naturally occurring stable element, unless it's these, like you said, the massive numbers of nucleons. So, uh, but you know, hey, science fiction, we have warp drive, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's go with it. <laughs> and as you said, the they they have this class D planet, which is a gas giant with uh, a ring of asteroids. So it's a ring planet, but the ring is made of asteroids, not ice, like usual. And the ring, the asteroids have class M atmospheres for some reason. Yeah. Maybe there was a class <laughs> M moon that broke up or something. And kept its, its atmosphere. atmospheres. Yeah, they arrived really recently after the breakup or something. I suppose, now this is a bit of retcon, I suppose you could say maybe the atmospheres come along with the bodies that yeah. emanate. Or maybe they emanate from the bodies. <laughs> right. Like the so spider webs. dead people. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is, so they beam down to the asteroids. So it's Chakotay and Torres and and Kim. They beam down to one of the asteroids and and they walk through some of these cobwebs, which they call an organic biopolymer residue. Oh no, 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 no! It's better than that. So they're walking through what are what anyone who's ever been on Earth would call spider webs. Yeah. Right. And and I, it's either I think it's Kim says, "What's this?" And Balana says, "It's organic." Some kind of biopolymer residue. So not o- so it's like 
Balana, you're half human. You grew up on Earth. It's it's spider webs. So so you and, <laughs> grew up it's, on and then Earth, so. some <laughs> kind of biopolymer residue. Yes. And, and by by the way, we got to get this out of the way. There are seven some kinds of in this episode. Yes, it's an, yeah. it's amazing. Uh, I, I I'm gonna start. I was thinking of keeping a tab, like keeping a rolling ta- I, I a tally. Actually went through the. I actually went through the transcript online and just searched for some kind of and came up with seven hit. <laughs> yeah, that's that's awesome. Amazing. I, I I caught some in a minute. We're gonna hit some kind of subspace vacuole. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, like- just as an aside, I I rewatched uh, Avengers: Age of Ultron last night, and apparently there was some kind of shield around a building. Which was a shield. So, so Voyager must have been around somewhere. <laughs> Some kind of Voyager must have been around somewhere. Yeah. It's not just a Star Trek Voyager thing, but it but yeah, it is funny yeah. the, the this uh writer's penchant for some kind of so uh, So they they go stumbling around and they find a lot of people who are trussed up in cocoons and they don't well, immediately say where's the giant spider like in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. Addercup, Addercup. Yeah, that's what I'd be wondering. But where are these? What has wrapped these bodies? So some of the bodies are fully decomposed, um, and they decide that uh, they 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 realize that the element that they're looking for, this element two forty seven, is a byproduct of the decomposition. We should say that the reason that they're hunting for this element is as if if there is a stable version of element two forty seven, they could use it for some sort of um, stuff. Fel- yeah, Felgrecarb, Technobabble, that would get them home faster. So Ooh, uh, deep cut Babylon Five reference with the Felgrecarb there. Or, oh, that that's a I mean, Battlestar, Galactica. I mean, Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, <laughs> Battlestar Galactica. Yep. <laughs> so uh, the old uh, school. Yes, very old school. That's me. So they uh, Chakotay, to his credit, it, we have a, a nice character building moment for Chakotay here, which is we learn that Chakotay is not just a former Starfleet officer and Maquis. And that he has uh, Native American heritage, but he's also a bit of an archaeologist here. Mm-hmm. He's got some some part of his background is archaeology. He wants to leave the bodies as is, untouched, uh, to respect the, the the people who've put these bodies here. Uh, while Kim sees it as a unique anthropological opportunity, so and it raises the classic anthropology slash archaeology question. When is it tomb re- robbing and when is it research or science? It's it's research when you don't have another way to get equivalently good data. Okay. Like if it like I I'm not I don't think we should cavalierly dig up George Washington. I mean if you have a good reason like like was he poisoned or something? Well, okay, the only way you're likely to get that data is by digging him up, so it justifies it. Otherwise though, you can learn a lot about George Washington just by reading records. And mm-hmm. so you don't need to dig him up for ordinary purposes. Yeah. So the older the culture, the less known about the culture, the harder it's going to be to get reasonable data and the easier it is to justify research, yep. at least from my perspective. From mm-hmm. other people's perspectives, I have, a, I have like a friend from Malaysia and she, in her culture, you leave graves alone, period, no matter how old they are. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's like, no, 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 you can dig up Pharaoh's grave. It's totally fine. This is our way of honoring those people is to learn about them. But you do have this difference of perspectives across cultures. And some people, it's like, no, they're buried. You leave them alone no matter what. That trumps the desire to learn about them. Chakotay has, even though, so you have kind of a different view set of viewpoints. You have Kim on the let's take scans side you have Chicote on the let's leave him alone side you kind of have Janeway in the middle 
But even though I don't fully agree with Chakotay, he has a nice moment here where he points out just how much you can learn just by looking. Mm-hmm. Because these posture, these the people who put the bodies here clearly believe in some kind of afterlife or appear, appear to believe in some kind of afterlife because the bodies are in what to human eyes look like postures of serenity, which could, of course, be postures of terror or some kind of natural <laughs> reflex that doesn't mean anything. But it right. looks like postures of serenity and they don't have any grave goods on them, suggesting that the people don't believe you can take grave goods into the afterlife. And the fact that they're here at all suggests deliberate deposition or at least concern for for public hygiene. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, and so he, he has this kind of Sherlock Holmes, you're seeing but not observing uh, moment where he deduces a bunch of stuff. But he convinces Janeway to let him only take only only look at right. these bodies. Not and even so, passive scans. Not even passive scans, which, of course, your eyes are a passive scan. Mm-hmm. And he says, you can only use, only learn with your eyes. And I'm like, what, not even photos? That's, that's just the same thing as your eye, but with a record. Right, right. Yeah, although I wonder if they have even a way of taking a photo that isn't a scan uh, by that point with a tricorder. But, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's an interesting question. And it, and it, I, I find it interesting that that Starfleet doesn't have a protocol. I mean, obviously that we're writing an, a TV episode, but I would think that Starfleet would have a protocol for what you do when you encounter the 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 tombs of an of a brand new alien race. What is the first contact protocol for for this when it's when you encounter their tombs before you encounter the people? Yeah, uh, well, if it's anything like modern protocols, it's going to be take several years and get permission from the local authorities. <laughs> right, mm. right. It's not anyway, like the gung-ho 19th century. You could just use dynamite and blow your way in and start finding stuff out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the curse of the mummy on you. Uh, so they, they are interrupted uh, in this interesting moment by a dimensional distortion, as we said, some kind of subspace mm. vacuole, uh, and they're beamed out in emergency beam mode, but in the process, they get Chakotay and Torres in one of the bodies, but Kim got pulled into the vacuole. And then it turns out that the body is still technically not, as as you might say in The Princess Bride, not dead yet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not fully yet. dead. The, yeah. the, so what happened is the vac, as we learn, is the vacuole is a naturally occurring phenomenon. It occurs every six hours at this location. It also occurs at many other locations. And there's this alien race and another emanation who are dumping their bodies when they're about to die in in through the vacuole to transport them to the next emanation. And so what happened is they were dumping a body through here, and that's what got caught in the transporter beam in place of Harry Kim. So you have this right. Freaky Friday body swap where only it's physical instead of mental. <laughs> that, no, that would have been weird if it was Harry in her body. That yeah. would have been a very different episode. So, uh, yeah, so Harry uh, materializes inside this dimensional coffin, which they call a cenotaph. Uh, which is so the- an interesting word choice for the writers. A, yeah. cen- a cenotaph is a false burial site. It's like where you, if, if uh, it gets used in a few situations, if you don't know where someone's body is, you can put up a cenotaph for them. Uh, it's to honor, their, honor them. 
Although the pharaohs in ancient Egypt actually had a real burial site, and then they also had a cenotaph somewhere else. And Mm -hmm. if memory serves, it may be because they were the pharaoh of of, uh, northern and southern Egypt, so they typically have their real burial in one of the Egypts and their cenotaph in the other Egypt. And that in this case, their burial, the, these people, their real burial is in another dimension or or wherever. Yeah. Um, so but, we we see Kim, uh, Harry Kim, <laughs> so knocking on the inside of the coffin. Like, can you imagine that at a funeral? In a, in a funeral, yeah. Suddenly from inside <laughs> the coffin, knock, knock, knock. It, that's a f- effectively creepy. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then we cut to the next scene where he's in this preparation room where they're they're trying to figure out what happened and why he's there. Uh, and there's this other guy in there, because apparently they don't have private preparation rooms, who is saying goodbye to his wife before his death. And then he sees Harry come in and is told that he came back from the next emanation, which is, as we said, clearly like their heaven. That could that could really, you know, if you're someone who's about to die, that could be an interesting moment. You maybe want to find out. They call for a thanatologist. Yeah, nice, nice word. Person who studies death. Thanatos. Yes, this Death and dying, including the body's changes, which I thought was interesting. And, and uh, by the way, did you notice who the actor is that plays the chief thanatologist? It's Jerry Hardin. Uh, he has, he pops up periodically in science fiction, most famously in the X-Files, where he played the original Deep Throat in series one. That's right. That's right. Yeah. He, Jerry Hardin. Yeah. He's he's one of those guys who's been in everything. I think he's been in Star Trek multiple times uh, uh, over the years. But yeah, that's right. Uh, he just died a few years ago, in fact. Uh, Week 12, I think, I think it did, yeah. That. Uh, so anyway, they're taken aback when he tells them that he saw dead bodies in on the asteroid he came from, which is clearly at odds with their belief. So again, their belief is not just that they're sending dead bodies over, but that they are, the people are living on the other side. Uh, which, again, it kind of comes to me, they must have like accidents or wars or things yeah. where people die unexpectedly i mean that that frankly probably more people die unexpectedly here than than not well, well i mean we find planet. out later that the cenotaph as we talked about you know with the euthanasia actually kills them sends them over so i suppose they think they get re- rebuilt you know regenerated or resurrected on the other side yeah yeah but they've seen people die on their own side they must have accidents and people can't right. get to the thanatorium in time and stuff i wonder if those people get sent over to or not it's yeah. Pres- presumably so since the cenotaph kills a person before it sends them over for reasons yeah um it uh it, it the mere fact you've died before you go over is not a problem i do right. think it's fascinating how this religion must have developed on a world where these subspace vacuoles uh, would have presumably been a naturally occurring phenomenon throughout the history and the development of this species and mm-hmm. therefore, they've incorporated these natural elements into their belief system mm-hmm. as, as a as a gateway to the next life, and which sort of makes some sense. Yeah, and they call them spectral ruptures, and so that's right. like that makes sense. They're spectral because they think they take you to the afterlife, you know, right. where your specter or soul goes. Right, and the, also there are clearly a rupture because you can go through it, yep. and. Uh, so meanwhile, back on Voyager, the doctor was able to revive this poor woman from the cavern uh, and cured the cancer that was killing her. Brain uh, cancer. And, well, yes. And uh, he t- says that the, uh, 
the webbing that was around this cocoon this was is actually awesome. a natural byproduct of decomposition for their species, which <laughs> I frankly seems very quick. If she was yeah. just killed before that happens well, very quick. But look look later. I mean she it it's instantaneous. It, it, when yeah, she does it die, is. it is it is instantaneous. But I but this is the awesome part is all those cobwebs <laughs> they were walking through were just more advanced decomposition. So yes, the doctor says you were strolling through dead bodies. <laughs> I love Cody's expression at this point <laughs> at that point when he probably realizes that. Uh yeah. so the woman wakes up and is understandably hysterical and confused. Yeah. Uh which, you know, no duh and uh, so she explains that once she comes down she uh oh, no i'm sorry on the other side K- harry is has neria the thanatologist explain to him uh, how the cenotaph euthanizes people just before the vacuole takes away uh takes them away the vacuole appear occurs periodically at this particular one every six hours but there are thousands on the planet uh and they're natural and, and, and that's actually why they built the thanatorium here is because yes. this is where this spectral rupture happens. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and but when Rhea, I forget how the he pronounces, but he starts quizzing him about what's on the other side. Harry blathers a yeah, bit until yeah. he realizes, <laughs> oh, wait, prime directive. Uh, yeah. But but Nerea isn't going to let Harry go yeah. while yeah. he can still study him. Ensign yeah. Harry hasn't hasn't quite had his first, uh, prime directive. uh in first contact protocols refreshed recently enough. Yeah, it <laughs> yeah. suddenly dawns on Harry that this is what we call a first contact situation. And then he, he starts, he, it, it's awesome the way he clumsily says about how in first contact situations, we've learned to be very careful about how much we tell alien cultures we've just met. It's like, <laughs> maybe you want to rephrase that for the alien yeah. culture you've just met. It sounds like you're keeping secrets. Exactly. <laughs> If you think about it from your pers- if it was from our perspective, what that would seem like, yes. Uh, now, Chakotay says that they've surveyed the ring of around this planet. There are two hundred thousand bodies in the ring that that are still detectable. Presumably, many, mm-hmm. many, many more have become spider webs. Yep. Right, and a and, and he says a vacuole appears every two hours. So that's three vacuoles accounted for if they are, if they all occur on six hour intervals. So assuming they all go to the same place and have the same period. So perhaps there's even the 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 vacuoles don't all go to the same place. Per, perhaps if there's yeah, thousands of vacuoles, or I took it to mean the one the the place they were detecting the vacuole was every two hours, but there are lots of other vacuoles they haven't scanned. I assume they had just have different frequencies. Yeah, I mean because the, they said the one that Harry went through was every six hours. They said, and then yep. they say they detect them every two. So maybe they have different frequencies. But yeah, yeah, that's uh. Yeah. So I, I'm curious whether th- that's another sort of loose end that was left on the script is, is do all of these people go and end up in the same place or not? That's, that's it, one they of my seem questions. to imply that they do. They all end up yeah. in this asteroid ring system later right. on. The oh, by the way, meanwhile, the lady who had died has woken up again and she's now less hysterical and is able to explain that her name is Tara or Patera. Last mm-hmm. name presumably is Dactyl. Yes, pterodactyl oh. uh, is her is her name, and <laughs> her brother Patah. Uh, so the uh, no, that's a Klingon reference. So the uh, she asks Jamie to explain this divergence from her religious be- beliefs. We're supposed to evolve into a higher level of consciousness when we die. We're supposed to gain a greater understanding of the universe. All our questions are supposed to be answered. Jamie is obviously can't <laughs> explain any of this, but promises to get answers for her, which is a bad idea. 
I, I like how Janeway and, you know, I don't remember specifically which conversation it was, but one of the things that both Janeway and Cass and Harry do in talking to these people is saying, look, just because you've learned more about how this works doesn't mean your beliefs are false. Right. Right. And this comes out in a particular in a conversation with Cass and Patera because she, she's explaining about souls and the people from the other emanation. I, I didn't really get their name. The Vorans, I think. Yeah. Yeah. The aliens are presumably Jehovah's Witnesses because they don't believe in <laughs> souls. Uh, they right. believe you, you, you have to have the afterlife as a physical body. There's no separated soul. And so that's why the dead bodies are such a problem for them. And they're mm -hmm. not easily accepting the reconciliations or harmonizations that the Voyager crew are proposing. And this is one of the things that makes this episode so effective. I mean, just think of how amazingly disturbing it would be to wake up in an unexpected afterlife. Right. I mean, on the one <laughs> hand, glad there's an afterlife. On the other hand, I'm really freaked out. Exactly. Right. Especially if you're the only one from your world who's there. Uh, yeah. That would be really freaky. Uh, there for the Venori is, the, uh, is mm -hmm. the, the name. I just looked it up. The Vinvachi. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, the Fibonacci's. So the ship is shaken, and uh, Tom Paris reports that there is some kind of d ding. Mm -hmm. I need a bell, I think is what it is. Dimensional yeah, distortion go. in main engineering. There, uh, there are podcasts that use sound effects to, for like footnote, and they have a footnote sound effect. We could have a yeah. ding for some kind of. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to need a bell. I think is what I'm going to need. And so, uh, so, uh, so the, the, it, it turns out the vacuoles are attracted to the warp drive, and they destabilize the like warp drive moths. because, yeah, because it's all related to subspace, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, so the man on the other side, Hatil, who had been preparing to die, he was in the sharing a room with Harry. Uh, He's now getting cold feet, understandably, and he's and, he's having and, a crisis of faith. In, in part because he's got this metal brace that helps him walk that we suddenly right. see oh. when he tries to get up. Right. And it's he, he tells his wife tells him, don't throw away a lifetime of belief just because an alien shows up from the afterlife. <laughs> Which, you know, I, I mean, I, I sympathize. I mean, as a Christian, I would mm -hmm. I would probably be saying the same thing just because something unexpected happens. That may or may not have something to do that some people think has to do with right. our our belief system, the fundamental aspects of our faith. Doesn't mean you just throw your faith away on a whim, right? And uh, you know, a single piece of contrary data does not overcome the data you've got. Also, these people should be more open to alternative reconciliations than they are. Right. This is something that there's kind of a how do I say this. Some folks of any particular religion or no religion have a very limited worldview where they think they know exactly how things work. And if anything comes along to suggest that maybe there's more to it than that, it becomes a crisis of, of belief for them. Mm -hmm. And so you, you see this in history, for example. It's like a lot of people thought the earth was. You know, the center of the universe. It turns out it's not. Well, for some people, that was a crisis of faith, but it's like not a big deal, actually. In the mm -hmm. same way, you have people like who say are total materialists 
you know, uh, scientific materialists and you give them evidence, maybe like psychic powers exist. It's, oh, that can't be. That's impossible. In fact, I recently was looking at a paper published by uh, in, a, in, in a journal where it was a rebuttal of a paper arguing that we do have some evidence for psychic phenomena, and the skeptics who wrote it refused to look at the data in the paper they were critiquing because mm. it was impossible for that data to be right. Mm. And so for them, it would be a crisis of belief if it turned out, hey, we've got some evidence for this. So any viewpoint, if you take an overly simplistic, I think I really know how the world works in all the details view, anything that comes along that suggests, hey, there's more than you were expecting is right. going to be unsettling. And that's why everyone needs to listen to Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. So you have an appreciation of all the mystery that's out there. Exactly, exactly. So, in fact, Harry says something along these lines. He's trying to, you know, he says, for all we know, those dead bodies were just the corporeal remains of the people as they ascended a higher consciousness. And then he confesses that he doesn't know what happens to his own people, you know, human beings, after mm -hmm. we die. He says that this is a, his quote. There have certainly been medical experts and philosophers and theologians who spend a great deal of time debating what happens after death, but no one's come up with an answer yet. Which yeah, is, it's a bit of an overstatement. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think we've got we've got answers. Not, I mean, yeah, we're open to you know information, but yeah, we've got we've got some answers. Yeah. So, uh, so Hatil said uh, then reveals that he's being pressured into killing himself because after his accident, which is why he has the brace, he's been a burden on his family, and his family got together, voted, and agreed that he should move on to the next emanation. Uh, and he admits to being secretly terrified of dying. And again, I don't, I don't want to get, we don't like to get into politics here, but this has actually come up in my state where I live, Massachusetts, where mm -hmm. there have been assisted suicide laws proposed and other places where those laws have been passed, where people report, you know, that sort of pressure being put on them. And I remember a case from years ago of the Hemlock Society, which loves th this idea of assisted suicide. The founders, one of the two founders found out, they were a married couple, found out she was, uh, had cancer. And one day came home and found a note uh, on a pillow along with a bottle of pills and said, you know what to do from the husband. You know, yeah. that's, that's sort of, that's a, that gonna, if an option can sometimes become mandatory. And that's well, kind and that's, of what we're seeing here. Well, and that's from what Hattil go ahead, Father. I was going to say, and that's definitely a concern in our country today because more and more states like Montana, like Oregon, have passed a physician assisted suicide laws or. Yeah. Courts, in, in the case of Montana, I think it was a court ruling that legalized it. And I think that's a, a legitimate concern in our day to day, especially, you know, when we do talk about, well, we could treat that, but, you know, we could just make it so much easier if we just make it go away. Right. Right. Making our problems, problems just disappear. And from what Hatil says, this, even though it's, it's wrapped in all this family togetherness rhetoric, you put the dots together. They had an intervention with this guy. Right. He's 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 apparently got some. He limps. We know he he needs a leg leg and back brace to get around. And and they had a family meeting. They had an intervention to convince him to die. Right. Yeah. And in fact, I it sounded like they had a family meeting where everybody else decided he had to die. Right. <laughs> they had a vote. Uh. So I don't think he no. even had that much I, of a choice. I thought he was there, but maybe not. That yeah. would be even worse. Well, well, I, well, I, well he might have been there, but they still voted. <laughs> yeah. I, it's, it sounds, I, see, I took it as he might have been there when it happened, 
but he had no voice in the matter. It was everybody else decided that he was going to be killed. Right, yeah. right. What I'm amazed at, and I really like this, one of the things I was reading in the background notes at Memory Alpha was that, like, uh, Michael Piller wanted more conflict in this, and and Brandon Braga wanted it to be more meditative, more intellectual. And I think Braga made the right choice, mm -hmm. because Hatil is dealing with all of this remarkably well. I mean, he's right. dealing with the fact his family wants him dead, and he's guilty about the fact that he is a burden to them, and he's serene, but he's uncomfortable, and he's then he finds out about Harry Kim coming back from the afterlife, but it's not what's expected, and and he's he's he does not panic. It's not like yeah. the woman who woke up. It's not like Patera who panicked. Right. He Hatil is holding it together. And I'm really impressed by that. And I think that adds to the story because if he too was just freaking out and hysterical, it would take the focus away from the intellectual issues and the ability to process them and say, right. what would it be like if I was in this situation? Well, and it, right. it, also, it also makes the resolution of Harry's situation, frankly, so much smoother. But it, it really, I mean, I, I think it, it made it where there was an out for this guy. Because he was willing to think about right. it, he was, you know, like I said, kind of meditate on it, reflect on it. Harry was able to help him come up with a solution that was mutually beneficial, even if mm -hmm. it meant that Harry had to die. Yeah. Right. So we it's, got one body swap to get into the situation. Let's do another body swap to get out of it. Yeah. Well, that's that's the thing is like what like what Michael Pillow probably wanted was Harry having to fight his way to the cenotaph room and getting in there just in time and activating it just before the thanatologist and the others showed up to stop him. And, you know, that sort of, you know, uh, high drama action sort of thing. But I, I just like, you're right. I mean, we would have lost the, this real, these really nice moments with Hatil and Patera mm -hmm. even gets her moments as well. And I think that that would have been lost. I think this is Star Trek at its best when it's not just all about action, action, action beats, but has, times to to think and to have intellectual discussion and philosophy and that sort of thing and that's what we have here uh so janeway uh, another body shows up on the voyager and janeway notes that when the bodies appear they release neural energy that passes into the rings uh check that Ding. off and come back to that yep. Yep. Yes. that's that's their real afterlife that's our hopeful out for this episode yes so apparently patera didn't do this when she appeared but Maybe because uh, her she, there was still neural activity in her brain, like yeah. she wasn't quite dead yet. I, yeah. I guess. Um, so they have to move away from the the planet. The, the Voyager has to move away from the planet because uh -oh. the destabilizing. They should have done that a long time ago. I mean, if <laughs> yeah. it, it, as soon as wait, subspace things are opening up in proximity to a warp core. Move right. the warp core now. <laughs> yes. it, 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 either that or give me some line about how don't worry, we can protect it and keep it from rupturing well, on us. Well, Torres did kind of say she was trying to, but yeah, that, but she she needs to come back. She's working on a better thing, but you're well, right. I, I also like that the, uh, you know, her captain's orders are, you know, warp seven now. They're in the middle of this ring where there's all kinds of subspace <laughs> stuff. Let's activate this giant subspace engine right in the middle of it. No, you know, go to thrusters till we get clear and then hit the warp drive. Right. 
Well, we let's trust in Paris as our helmsman that he's not uh, that he'll he'll interpret the captain's orders. Yeah, that's what the <laughs> deflectors are for. Yeah. Yes. So Patira tells uh, is goes for a walk with Cass, and uh, it, she tells her that her people don't believe in spirit uh, that they're they're like you were saying, Jimmy, that they're materialists essentially. Uh, that they're reborn with a new body, which is the whole point of going through the special rupture. Uh, so they all come up with this plan to send Patera back through the vacuole with a subspace transponder to give to, to give, Harry so yeah. they can beam him back, which sounds like a good good idea. But the plan goes awry. They they take too long beaming her through. Uh, and by the way, notice who's at the controls of the transponder. Seska. And Seska. this is the first episode she gets named. Yes. And uh, yeah. And uh, when you look at things in retrospect, you wonder about Seska's motives about things. But I mean, she's probably her motives are probably okay here. But you know, it, it's interesting. But in any case, they take too long beaming her through. The vacuole collapses, and Patera is killed. Uh, I have she, to say, she instantly webs up. Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> she's like Spider Man here. But I have to say, nobody seems all that upset about it. Like, oh, that's too bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's a like. I guess because she was already going to die, that maybe they didn't feel like it was a big deal. But but no one again. said, okay, so now what? How do we get Harry now? <laughs> there is that, too, yes. Anyway, I I've, I feel like on most TV shows, a death of people is not treated as like it would actually be treated, but, but that's a whole other. I, I, I forget if there was a commercial break right after she died. If there was, we can assume they did some some dealing emotionally during the commercial break. Yes, yeah, let's assume that. <laughs> so, but Nare- we, also, Nare- we, you, go ahead. we also have an unknown length ticking clock now, because now they've established that they do have something to protect the warp drive, but they don't know how long it'll last. Right. So, and eventually I think they say like two hours. But right. so it's Whatever okay. The we got us. We have our artificial ticking clock now, mm-hmm. just <laughs> right. like we had our artificial juice the drama moment where Patera dies. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so Naria, the thanatologist, wants to take Harry off to Area Fifty One to be studied, but Harry wants to stay near the vacuole to figure out how to get back. And uh, there, there's talk of there are riots. Uh, people are starting to become violent about they're afraid of him and what he represents, which is again. Very interesting. That seems very real, and that that sort of reaction. Some people would react that yeah, way. Yeah, but this thing occurs every six hours, and so Harry should be like six hours, and I'm out of here, dude. Study me all you <laughs> want until then. Yeah, right. but they they must have like um they must just be a bunch of Twitter addicts on this planet if riots <laughs> are starting this quickly. Well, we don't know how. I mean, these we... people need to learn not to believe everything you read on the internet. But it's has it been just one cycle, or has it been like because bodies have been showing up on Voyager? But those yeah. are every two hours, even if it's just the same one. I think there are multiple vacuoles. I, okay. I they yeah. haven't done anything to establish that Harry's has been used. I mean, Hatil right. was going to be the next guy to go through it, yeah. and he's still there. I guess. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I, I had a feeling that maybe a longer time had passed, but that yeah, the TV time compression is probably at work here. So, uh. Hatil, meanwhile, is now wrapping himself in his burial shroud, part of their ritual, uh, which you know you have to do it yourself, I guess, in, the, in their religion. Uh, yeah, and fine. They, yep, mm-hmm. and they decide to switch places uh, with Hatil sneaking away. He he's got friends um, uh, in the country who will hide him. Apparently, he's, uh, he's coming. Heretics. He's coming to Montana. You know, <laughs> yeah. he can hide out in Montana. Yeah, Vordy Vor- 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 heretics in Montana are going to help him hide from his fate. <laughs> And uh, 
Uh, and Harry is willing to get killed by the cenotaph on the chance the doctor can revive him. That's now that is faith. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, Harry gets in the in the the. Now again, this is typical Star Trek where we have to say the machine somehow is works on human physiology uh, close enough, you know, to the Vordi physiology to kill him in such a way as to be revivable. Uh, you know, yeah, that's not too implausible. Um, I mean, from what we see, it's not like it decapitates him or something, although the doctor could fix even that. Probably. But Harry's so Harry's wrapped up in sitting in this cenotaph thing, which looks kind of like a clamshell. Yeah. And he's wrapped up like a mummy and every and his wife's holding his hands and everyone's gathered around him and they're saying goodbye to him. And luckily, he doesn't have to say anything back because it wouldn't be Hatil's voice. And right. then they put that he lies down, they close the clamshell and his wife pushes the death button. Yeah. <laughs> and then we see inside the shell, he rips off his, the the face cloth so right. that we can see his facial expression. Yes. <laughs> and and, uh, and he's clearly panicked. But these two red glowing rods come out and stick on the sides of his neck and and he dies. Yes, uh, it's, it's, I think it's kind of funny, the whole like, wow, Hatil, you seem a little bulkier and a little buffer than before. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe we don't need to send you through just yet. <laughs> We're hanging around for a little while longer. It's the <laughs> wrappings, they add 10 pounds. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. So, Un- unfortunately, our ticking clock on the warp drive has just gone off. And so just to juice the drama, Janeway announces we got to leave now. Well, not only that, we have a vacuole forming, though. Oh, but it's an alien female, so it's not Harry. So let's go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, but they've got it. Oh, they don't have him. But then Harry's body shows up, and the doctor revives him. And it's a very interesting moment where, after the doctor gives him the, you know, the hypo spray to wake oh, him up, artificial revival drama too. It's like, yes. oh, he gave him the shot, and it doesn't work, and it doesn't work, and it doesn't work, and then Harry gasps and opens his eyes. Yep. Apparently, the interval, the time interval between the hypo spray and the wake up was left by the director, left up to Garrett Wang, the actor. Like, you just do it when you feel it's right. And that's why it took so long. Like, they kind of, he kind of just laid there for a bit and and then just went when he felt like it was the time to wake up. So Mm. it's kind of interesting. I can imagine the other actors going... All right, Garrett, come on, come on. Yeah, we do, yeah. <laughs> I, I was at a uh, science fiction, this was back in like the 80s, at a science fiction convention in Oklahoma City called OakCon. And one of the guests was Forrest J. Ackerman, who is famous for having done Famous Monsters, mm-hmm. among other things, Famous Monsters magazine. And so he's kind of a, a sci-fi horror famous publisher fan guy. He had one of the largest collections of fan memorabilia in science fiction and fantasy. Like he had Bela Lugosi's Dracula cape and wow. stuff at his house, which he called the Ackermansion. Uh-huh. And I was at this panel with Forrest J. Ackerman, and he was talking about once he had a bit part in a movie, in some, you know, cheesy B movie, and he was supposed to die, his character is supposed to die. So he thought he'd do a really good performance. So he 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 died. And he just laid there and he didn't move and he didn't breathe and he just let it go. He was waiting for them to tell him to get up. And eventually they're moving on. They're doing stuff. And his wife, he hears his wife say, I think something's wrong with my husband. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently Garrett Wong isn't the only one to have a really long death thing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So 
so Harry is revived, and uh, we the, we have the the closing scene where Janeway goes to see Harry. Harry's sitting by himself down in the mess hall, and she wants to talk to him about his experience, life, death, life again. But they don't have a common frame of reference to go for. No, I'm just kidding. That's Star Trek. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but Janeway encourages him to take time off, stop, reflect, absorb all the things that happened to you. Don't get jaded, which is what she wishes she had done when she was a young junior officer, seeing all the wonders of the universe. And by encourages him to take time off, we mean orders him to take yes. time off. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, and and I think that's a nice moment, actually. I think it's a nice moment between Janeway and Kim. It's a little bit of the opportunity for Harry Kim to kind of move beyond the wide-eyed newbie out in the universe for the first time. To kind of he's had this moment, uh, which is which is good. I think in the development of the character, um, Harry. Oh, go ahead. Uh, well, I like what Janeway does in this scene. I don't like what Harry does in this scene because previously Harry was. Pointing out to Hatil that, you know, this could, there are ways to harmonize your beliefs about the afterlife with yeah. what I've experienced. And Harry also was open to the idea of the afterlife. He did not seem like he knew for sure what happened to humans. I mean, he said he did not know for sure what happened to humans. And he also said he didn't know for sure what happened to our alien friends here. But then in this scene, because they need to, reasons i guess they they he suddenly become a skeptic and it's like up oh, all those people's beliefs about the afterlife were false and janeway is the one as oh wait neural energy that's maybe their real afterlife you know right. that get, mm -hmm. they do maybe achieve higher consciousness in the rings of this planet and they it's just clumsy writing because it's inconsistent with what harry had seen before harry has not had anything that happened to him that would change his mind about any of that stuff. It's just to set up Janeway's hopeful ending with maybe they have their real afterlife as neural energy in the rings. And so Harry pivots from becoming open-minded to being closed-minded just to set up that line, and that's bad writing. I wonder, though, if, if, it, if it's supposed to, and maybe it's clumsily, but if it's supposed to show that what Harry's reassurances to Hatil earlier, were not, he didn't really believe it that it was it was just trying to be nice then he's a cynical lying manipulator <laughs> with other people's religious beliefs i suppose I, I, or yeah i mean that's possible but in what sense i want to ask is do you does this constitute an afterlife this you know becoming neural energy in a, a d class planet's uh, asteroid ring um is that is that an afterlife cuz can we say that is or is that just another stage in being before the final, you know, from our point of view, uh, from a Catholic point of view? Well, it, it, so there are multiple ways of looking at this. this. These people are not humans, number one, and apparently they're not even from our dimension. So God can give them whatever kind of afterlife he wants. Okay. Now, this might uh, be, if I were to analyze this with my St. Thomas Aquinas hat on, I would say, well, these people have to have a soul that animates their bodies, and it's clearly a rational soul because they're rational beings, so they're going to have an afterlife. But I would be inclined, as Thomas Aquinas, to say it's not neural energy. And so what I, I, I would, but if I have evidence that they have this neural energy that continues to survive, I would say that's a part of them, and maybe 
they they work different as a species than we do. So like for example, the Egyptians believed that humans aren't just a composite of body and soul. The Egyptians believed that in addition to your body, you had uh, your shadow, your double, your ka, and your ba. And those could have different fates in the afterlife. Obviously, they wrap your, if you're rich, they mummify you for your body. But then other things happen with the other parts of you. So maybe the aliens have a physical body, a rational soul, and a packet of neural energy. And the neural energy has one destiny, but the soul's going to go off and do something else. Hmm. It, that's how I would look at it if I was analyzing this from a Thomas Quine's point of view. Another option would be maybe they are a multi-stage life form, like frogs and tadpoles or mm -hmm. caterpillars and butterflies. And their initial physical stage, they have this body, just like a tadpole has a tail, and then tadpoles lose their tails when they become frogs, so maybe they lose their physical body and become a neural energy creature for a while, and then eventually when the neural energy creature dies, that's when they have their real afterlife. Right. I suppose that's suggested from the cocooning that the body goes through mm -hmm. in one sense. Sure. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. I, I don't think the... Uh, I don't know that the writers intended that, but sure, okay, we've got the initial caterpillar phase, <laughs> they become a neural energy butterfly, and then the butterfly soul goes to heaven. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. It, 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 they didn't say, it's not the butterfly episode, it's emanation, so, but but I I like that I, that idea. Yeah, um, they, of course, we did, they didn't connect it to the really creepy emanation, the spider webs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, f uh, so I think that's about wraps up the episode. That's where it ends the, uh, the here. And uh, so, any last thoughts, uh, Father Corey? Nothing here, Jimmy. Not me. All right. So then, uh, let's wrap things up by uh, doing the very important thing that we always do, which is to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Tom L, Thomas S, Daniel D, Kelly B, and Max S. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week and makes me sound good. That's it from us. What did you think of this Voyager episode, Emanations, and what it has to say about the afterlife and euthanasia and death and all of that? Let us know by commenting at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page, facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the Enterprise episode, Civilization. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, what we don't know about death is far, far greater than what we do know. <laughs> <laughs>